Welcome to the show, Dead Center, in the middle of the week. Lost you there for a second, didn't I? Or did I just blink? I'm not sure. We got a great show today. We're going to kick things off uh, with Rachel Premack. She's going to talk about a Girl Scout cookie shortage, the horror, Uh, brokerage layoffs, the horror, rail safety oversights, the horror, and what pet food and Lunchables have in common. Probably all too much. Uber Freight Senior Economist, Mason Tedef is here. He's going to break down the freight market. He looks at volumes, capacity, fleet expansion, and the outlook for the second half of the year. And Super Trucker's here, man. And he's been ranting all week. He's been mad about driver training, truck sideshows, delivering to the wrong address, passing the time in a big rig, surveillance in the truck. He's got all sorts of stuff at top of mind. So this is going to be a fiery one. So get ready. Let's tip the band. We got a new one this time, too. The Eye of the Hurricane. Supply chain challenges are not always easy, but the commitment from the team at Dunavin Logistics to take on, sorry, Dunavin Logistics to take on the responsibility is unwavering. Dunavin, logistically speaking, they're at the center of it all. Visit them at dunavent.com. All right. Editorial director at Freight Waves and brand new pair of Crocs owner, Rachel Premack. Welcome to the show. Hey, thanks for having me on. I wanted to congratulate you. I saw this tweet that you put out that you finally got your first pair of Crocs. Can you tell us a little bit about your buying decision and what led you down this road? Yes, yes, definitely. So one of my good friends who actually lives in Greenville, South Carolina, she loves her Crocs. I mean, it's easier if you live in a place with no snow and all that kind of stuff, but she wears them to the beach. She wears them around her house. And I was just thinking, it's like, it's time for me to have a waterproof shoe that's not flip-flops. So I bought the Crocs. They're really comfortable. I mean, I guess everyone already knew that, but I was really surprised. There's arch support. There's like little bumpy things on the bottom. I actually have them right here. I got the pink ones. Yeah. Well, very classic. Yeah. People were, were, there were people online accusing you of buying like knockoffs. Uh, John Conrad from from G Captain. He's like, "Oh, were they real Crocs, or did you get like <laughs> some uh, some cheap brand?" Can you believe they're that? not that expensive? So, no. I mean, they're like thirty dollars, twenty dollars. I don't know if they were like. I almost expected them to be like seventy dollars for some reason. <laughs> I don't know why I thought they were going to be like incredibly expensive, but they're well, not. <laughs> so, kids and I nurses. Kids and nurses, they kept those alive, like, all through the up and down periods. Although I think Croc is having a resurgence. I just saw a picture of, like, their, their executives. They're out at some event, and they have, like, dress Crocs. I don't know if you've seen those, but they're, like, the next tier. Mm. But I like that you went classic. You went with just, like, the, the regular look that people are expecting to see out of a Croc. Yeah, yeah. I think it would be really helpful come, you know, beach and pool season. Um, you got – you lo- I love a waterproof shoe. And the it's a – closed toe situation so i could wear them around new york uh could make a new fashion statement probably not though but definitely of, good for around the house and at the beach too many nibble holes for uh the rats over there so you may want to yeah i i joined like a new footwear club too i never owned a pair of nike air jordans and i bought myself over the weekend i gotta say oh, nike shipping nice. i got these at 11 p.m on like a saturday and they showed up on tuesday they showed up at like noon on a tuesday oh. I know. That's really fast. That was really fast. Everyone's like getting better and stuff like that that gets easily like ripped off and knocked off. I always just rather go to 
the manufacturer. Exactly. All right. Yeah. I think we actually. It's gonna, yeah. yeah well, we don't, yeah, I don't want like yeah, counterfeit stuff on my feet, <laughs> like uh, John Conrad thought you had. You know, there are some serious <laughs> topics going on, though, right? You might need yes, the counterfeit are, ones if you just got laid off from a brokerage. Um, you know, this freight market hasn't been great and it's been a weird recessionary environment that's hit in waves. What is going on with the layoffs? Are we going to see more of them? Is just this, is this just the start? Yeah. So in, so last year, uh, these freight brokers slashed more than 700 payrolls in these bulk, uh, mass layoffs this year, they've cut nearly a thousand jobs and it's, it's only March, only March 1st. So I, th- I think we will definitely see even more of these layoffs. And the reason behind them, it's not shocking to anyone who watches this show or you know follows the economy more broadly. A lot of these freight brokers just hired tons and tons of people from 2020 to 2022. And now that the freight market has slowed down, we don't have that same volume of of freight going through the brokerage system or the forwarding system. So naturally, we'll need fewer people to handle those shipments. Well, I got to tell you, the economists have been killing it with the uh, phrases that they come out with, like um, quiet quitting. We had quiet quitting. We had the great resignation. And now in your article, there's a new term in there called crisis hiring, which I think is there to sort of temper our fear about some of these layoffs, because a lot of them, if I'm not mistaken, they're trying to equate them to the overabundance of hiring that happened during the pandemic because uh, uh, workers were hard to come by and unemployment was low. Yeah, I mean, and crisis is a pretty fitting term for supply chain, especially in 2021. I mean, we're all talking about the supply chain crisis. Uh, There was just an unprecedented amount of freight that needed to get moved. And a lot of that was on the spot market. A lot of that was outside of what shippers normally carry or what they can expect their, you know, dedicated carriers to to move for them. So it makes sense that they had to go to brokers. Interesting. You know, a lot of companies are getting ready to do reviews. They got to decide on who's going to stay in for the next year, who they're going to give raises to, all of that kind of stuff. Well, Steam Logistics, they have their own approach to this. Now, they've been adamant they haven't made any layoffs other than performance, but now they're offering people $2,000 to quit. Now, this isn't new. They've been they've been offering this for a long time. They emailed their staff, though, and put this offer back out there. What do you, first of all, what do you make of the offer? I think it's a... I think if you want to lose some headcount, but you don't want to say, hey, we're laying people off, this is definitely one way to do it. Um, I think I'd read that some companies that you know made all these big hires during the pandemic, they, they have to retain those employees through a certain point, through however many years. So I think it's, we're going to start to see these sort of offers more common, like what Steam did uh, or what Steam has been doing the past few months or few weeks. Um, it's a good way to lose some headcount without saying, oh, hey, we're doing layoffs. And if you receive some sort of federal stimulus money or some sort of tax benefits as a result of hiring people uh, through the pandemic, then you can still qualify for, for those funds. So I guess it's a kind of convenient loophole if, you, uh, if you're in that position. Why would you? My question is, why would you take it if you're an employee? If you think you're going to get fired, I mean, just get fired. You'll get unemployment and you may even get some severance. I guess if you want to quit, but then that begs the question, does this only incentivize the person who already has a ship to jump to, to, to leave? Yeah, I could definitely see that. Like if I, like, let's say I'm a, 
I'm a decent employee. Well, I hope I am a decent employee, but let's say I am looking for a new job. I see that where I'm working is not really, not really doesn't, doesn't seem like it's, you know, thriving or growing in the next year. I would look for a new job. And if I can get $2,000 before I'm out the door, if I'm leaving anyways, then so be it. Because, you know, a lot of these layoffs that have been happening the last few months, people get three, six, even 12 months of severance. Uh, You know, they're basically, they're not working, but they get their uh, normal salary for three to six to 12 months. So I I would just wait, wait around for a layoff if that's the case. Yeah. I mean, same here, even at like the worst brokerages, usually you still get a month. You know, which is probably going to be more than the two thousand dollars. Then you can get unemployment. But, you know, maybe if you're not working out, but you you need sometimes you, you know, people just stick around too long. Maybe you just need to give them some. It's like an anti signing a bonus. Yeah. Yeah. It's like a get out of here bonus. (laughs) Interesting. So do you think we're going to be announcing any more big layoffs soon? I, I I think we're going to be seeing more and more of these layoffs come into the news. I don't think I don't think it's we're we're done with this. I mean, just looking at, I think it was February alone we saw. Just pulling this up real quick. Yeah, just February alone, Convoy and Coyote laid folks off in January. Flexport, Uber Freight, they they announced big layoffs. So I think I think we're going to keep seeing these uh, more of these come come around. Yeah. Interesting. Well, you got me curious in Slack earlier today. You were saying that you're working on a story about Lunchables and pet food. I want to know what those two have in common. So they are separate stories, although I'd be impressed if I could combine both of them. The Lunchables story, I'm just looking into, they announced some big news, uh, which I will reveal in the story tomorrow. Um, so they announced some big news to basically grow their footprint even bigger than it is right now. Um and, you know, just looking into Lunchables, I ate them a lot growing up. They were my favorite uh, thing to bring to lunch, especially in elementary school. So I um, was very, I've, I feel like I've been looking for a reason to write about Lunchables. And it's a really interesting logistics story because it's like the perfect, perfect product, essentially. You, it's really shelf stable. You don't have to freeze it. You can have it in the grocery store or in a reefer truck or in your own personal fridge for weeks and weeks on end, you know, and, and of course throw in your backpack when, you know, the kid's going to school. So it's a perfect shelf stable meal because typically you don't see a lot of meals that you don't need to heat or even keep refrigerated for a, a long period of time that will stay good for, for months essentially. Um, so it's, it's an interesting kind of logistic story there. The pet food story. Uh, Wait, hold on, I have a couple more. Lo- hold on, I have some more Lunchable okay. questions. Because I mean, Lunchables are like Pokemon; they've endured throughout the the years. Like I know. since they came out in the '90s, they're still like my kids still demand them, and they're essentially like an excuse to eat cheese and crackers and a brownie for lunch. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's it's that was one thing that um, a professor I interviewed earlier today mentioned was this idea that you know. Let's say you ate Lunchables as a kid in the 90s. Now you have kids. You are happy to buy those because, you know, you have these memories of buying and using those products for that food, eating that food. Um, Whereas, you know, something like dishwasher fluid or even alcohol, I don't know why I picked those two things of all the things, but those are things that only adults buy for adults. Whereas, like, if you bought something as a kid and then you grow up, and you have kids, 
you're it's just it's just like basically a lifelong purchase like you're in they 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 get you in elementary school and you're just a lifelong Lunchables buyer, basically. I, it sounds like you might have a problem. I mean, you're writing an article that's a tribute to the Lunchables, and you're you're really uh you're really buttering them up. I gotta say though, did you learn anything about the packaging? Because I I think about this when I'm like packing the the kids' stuff, and it, it's super efficient packaging. There's no like box or anything. You just peel it off, and there's just like yeah. the little sections for what you need. It's it's very uh it's very well designed. It is really well designed, and it's very like everything has been geared to be as like profitable as possible essentially because uh i i read this book a few years ago that i'll be referring uh in my article tomorrow uh they wanted to actually include a napkin in the lunchables but they realized it would cost like one cent per Mm. package to include one little napkin so they got rid of that you know instead of the crackers they were thinking initially okay let's use bread but crackers you know can can last longer uh, it's easier to fit in that little uh, like Slot, crevice yeah. that they have for the crackers. For the record, I was never a crackers lunchable fan. I oh. always liked the pizza, so I just wanted to make that clear for for viewers in case in case anyone was wondering. Okay, I wish I didn't know that about <laughs> you, but that, that's fine. Now, speaking of pet food, which pizza lunchables most definitely is, what what is going yeah. on with pet food? That my other kids get the my 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 kids get the lunchables, my other kids the dogs get the pet food. So hopefully nothing too yeah. bad. Well, the pet food story is is good for animals, I would say, but maybe bad for people's wallets. Basically, people are preferring to buy more and more premium pet food. It's part of this humanization trend in which people are seeing their pets as people essentially people want to buy human grade pet food for their dogs and cats some people are even making home cooked food for their dogs and cats uh so basically even amid this record inflation we're seeing uh people want to spend more and more on pet food when you maybe expect them to be cutting back or preferring some of those uh you know bottom shelf kibble mm. options i suppose i gotta say that we've raised our uh 12 year old lab she's only been on good food the entire time and completely cuts down on on vet bills so i say ultimately you probably win yeah. out you know give your dog some uh some good food plus you know humanize your animals sure dogs are like part of the family yeah, I'm not. yeah now yeah i mean i think I, I think you're right it probably does cut down on medical bills in the long term we we have to um have people starving on this episode because we already got lunchables. Now we got to talk about Girl Scout cookies. So I first got wind of this. My niece is a scout, and you know they sent the link, and we need X amount of boxes, and I always order a ton of boxes. But three of the ones I wanted were sold out already, and I didn't think much of it till yesterday when Market Watch put out a story, and it said um, there is a Girl Scout cookie shortage. They said that they're out of raspberry rallies, chocolate chip cookies. That's what mine is out of, but they say Thin Mints, Tagalongs, Dosey Dose, Oregon resident Camelia K. She told Market Watch the shortage has meant that her daughter's Girl Scout troop had no cookies at all to sell at the start of the season, affecting not just Samoas, but everything from Thin Mints to Tagalongs to Dosey Dose. Yeah, so... Um Actually, last month, uh, the baker for Girl Scouts announced that they are experiencing inventory shortages. They didn't really specify what's running out or why they have these shortages or if it's like flour or sugar or chocolate or whatever. I imagine if it's Raspberry Rally in particular they're running out of, I'm sure there's some sort of fruit 
yeah. additive that they're out of, but they didn't they didn't really go into the details. But it appears that the supply chain crisis is still still going on, basically. Interesting. So you, I have a few facts here for you about Girl Scout cookies. Did you know that each year, 200 million cookies are sold, ranking in uh, $800 million? That's a lot of money. That is. Good that is it. Again. Well, and here's the thing, too. So this might be a lesson about the consolidation of supply chains. So back in like the 1960s, there were 49 Girl Scout cookie bakeries, but now there's only two. There's ABC Bakers, um, at Brownsburg, Indiana's yeah, Brownsburg, Indiana's ABC Bakers and Louisville, Kentucky's Little Brownie Bakers. Those are the only two that are in charge of 200 million cookies. Some Little Brownie have, Bakers is the one that's having the inventory problems right now. It is, you know, and people get I, people get very heated about this because some of the cookies have different names depending on the baker that you get them from. But there's been a debate. Really? Is there any difference? Well, I looked into this and Vox says Samoas have more toasted coconut than caramel delights and tagalongs have more peanut butter than peanut butter patties. So if you're familiar with those two, they look exactly like the same cookie, but slight variations between the two bakeries. That's you'd think it'd be a little bit more streamlined because I, I mean, there, there are however many Pepsi and Coca-Cola bottlers nationwide, but it's all the same recipe. I don't think it really matters whether you buy Coke in the Northeast versus in Arizona. Um, so I'm, I'm intrigued that it's not a little bit more streamlined. Well, you know what? They have the same supply chain issues that all of us have faced. Delish says that leftover cookies were a big issue for the Girl Scouts in 2021. The coronavirus left them with over 15 million boxes of unsold cookies. So they had to donate all of them to schools and food banks in the military, which like isn't wrong, but obviously is a byproduct of inventory planning. And then this year, obviously, that's the opposite direction. They don't have enough for their sellers. It's hard to get ahead. But the good news is, Rachel, all of the Girl Scout cookies are kosher. Did you know that? I did not know that. Are they halal? They are kosher and halal. So they are Okay, safe. all right. That's nice. That's good stuff. Well, with that in mind, I, um, yes? I was going to say, it's interesting that Girl Scout seems to have the opposite inventory problem that everyone else is having, where last year, I feel like people, or, you know, two years ago, people didn't have enough, and now... Right now, they have too much stuff. What's going on with the logistics planners? I don't, I don't know who the troop merit badge leader is of the Girl Scouts. They are not sure. But let's give let's give our merit. We got to rank some Girl Scout cookies really quick here. So let's take a look at what the offerings are. This year. There's some new ones. So I haven't had the raspberry rallies yet. I don't think most people have. So I can't rank them. They're sold out. I haven't had the chocolate chips. So maybe we'll stick to some of the classics here. If you had to give your, your top three, what are they, Rachel? I would say Samoas, mm. Tagalongs. I don't really care about the other ones, honestly. Just Samoas I'm and Tagalongs. Kidding. That's all you need. The Raspberry Rally does sound good, so I'll give it number three, even though I'm not. I've never actually consumed it before. Which I don't oh, think no, I've ta- really the others. So you, we can tell which. So in the Northeast, you're right. Like I grew up, I didn't. They weren't called Caramel Delights to me. They were called Samoas. Yeah, and where they are they called? Dosey dos or peanut butter sandwiches. Yeah, they were called uh, peanut butter sandwiches too, where, where I was. Interesting. They were called dosey dos in Michigan, Samoas, and Tagalongs, and everything else. Yeah. Huh. 
Well, I'll give you mine. I got I got the peanut butter sandwiches. We'll go with the uh, tagalongs and then thin mints. But you got to stick them in the freezer. Got to stick them in the freezer, Rachel. Oh, okay, okay. I'm not a big mint person, but they're 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 a classic. They're pretty good. There are some in here that I've never like toast yay. I think Justin they're Justin new. Martin slapped me about toast yays. I'm like, what what on earth are toast yays? Yeah, he, well, he's <laughs> weird. I'll 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 have a talking to him later about uh, that yeah. Issue. I'm, I'm, uh, no more. <laughs> Before I let you go, you did put an article on FreightWaves.com about that the rail situation in Ohio and a sensor. And the only reason I bring it up is I was reading today a Guardian analysis of data collected by the EPA and by nonprofit groups that track chemical accidents in the U.S. shows that accidental releases, be they through train derailments, truck crashes, pipeline ruptures, or industrial plant leaks and spills, are happening constantly across the country. By one estimate, these incidents are occurring on average every two days. And if you see it on social media, everyone's like, is this new? What is happening? Why is everything on fire every other day um, around here? At least insofar as the rail, did you find a cause? Yeah. So the um, the 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 you know federal investigators are still figuring out what is happening that caused the East Palestine derailment. Uh, but one suspected cause are these hot box detectors or wayside rail detectors that essentially track what temperature the wheel bearings of our what what temperature those those wheel bearings are at and if it's above a certain temperature range uh they will send a radio broadcast signal to the uh conductors and engineers on the trains itself as well as um folks who are you know monitoring the larger rail system uh, but it appears in the case of the east palestine train that it just didn't heat up basically when it was passing previous wayside detectors. Uh, the bearing was not hot enough to send an alert. And by the time it was hot enough and it did send that alert, it was already too late and the wheel was uh, appeared to be on fire, actually. I, I um, heard um, culturally so, those aren't yeah. always taken the most seriously either. Those, those sensors, I guess sometimes mm-hmm. they are too sensitive. And then what happens is whole never cry wolf thing there's going to be a lot of investigation that goes on look up rachel premack on freightwaves.com look her up on modes follow her on twitter rrpre i believe it is um and rachel thank you so much for joining me today appreciate it thanks for having me on take care all right everybody meanwhile talking about trains this train's not getting derailed this train doesn't have hot box sensors going off this cat's got the hot fuzz sensors going on. Skumia Enjoyer says, this is the first class train. The commoner train has one car and there's a guy with white gloves squishing them all in. So I guess so. That, nice looking ride there. Do you guys remember show Silver Spoons with Ricky Schroeder? He always had like the train in his house. I don't know if any of you are old enough, crusty enough to remember that. I sure am. Wish I had one of those. Anyways, let's talk to an economist. Let's get smarter over here. Let's talk to Uber Freight. Great guest. You know, he used to he used to be over in my neck of the woods. He was at MIT for a few years, if I'm not mistaken. Mason, thank you for joining me on the show. Hey, thank you. Uh, and great to be here again. What, where was I, I forget if I asked you this last time. Where was your favorite spot in Boston, Cambridge area when you were out at MIT? Uh... I love Alston. It had a lot, really like a lot of good restaurants. So oh yeah, food, yeah. You ever you ever get uh, any furniture on Alston Christmas? <laughs> Familiar with that? Not, not really. <laughs> I lived in a furnished studio for a while, so <laughs> yeah. Well, no. It, I so never it, really like 
in Alston, there's this annual event called Alston Christmas. And you know how Boston is on move-in day, right? September 1st, August 31st. It is just insane. If any of you are moving right. to Boston, two rules. Do not take Starro Drive. And number two, book well in advance and your, and your moving truck may still ditch you on those days. But everyone puts their furniture out on like the side of the road and people can walk around. They take it and they furnish their own apartments. And it's called a... Uh, it's called Alston Christmas. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, Mason, you learned a lot. You learned a lot about looking at data while you're over at MIT, and you recently just put out your Q1 market update. But before we get into it, what was the methodology for putting this together? Yeah, so we're looking at a broad range of indicators. We're looking at external data, which is like publicly available. This is data from uh, external institutions or the government or like any, any data that's available out there. In addition to our internal data, where like you know we we manage about like seventeen billion dollars of freight under management, uh, with all of our Uber freight arms. Like if you look at the dig digital brokerage, the man managed transportation, and so on. So we have a lot of data corresponding to like all the modes. So we look at all of this data uh, and try to like write this market update, which goes through all the modes that we see out there, like tracking, rail, intermodal. Uh, less than track load. So we'll look at the range set of indicators to, to write this report. Interesting. So, you know, uh, and the, your report did not surprise me. I'm very familiar with the data in our own system, Sonar, but it speaks to a lot of the things that we have been seeing and puts additional context. So, for example, um, one of them is about truckload supply outpacing demand. And in our outbound tender reject index, which tracks contracted loads that are just rejected, only 3.5% of loads are getting rejected. So that speaks very well to, uh, to that. What are you seeing in that category? Yeah, so we're seeing exactly the same trend. So if you look at the truckload market, uh, let's look at the truckload the truckload pie. So it's like a pie representing how much freight is out there. Uh, one slice of that pie is like a small spice is the spot freight and the rest is contract freight. So what we were seeing last year, like early last year, was that this spot, spot slice was getting smaller and smaller. But the size of the pie itself was holding. So it means that there was a lot of freight out there, but it was moving from, uh, from spot to contract. Uh, as the year evolved, that started reversing. So we're seeing that even though the slice of the spot uh, slice was still getting smaller, the size of the pie itself was also getting smaller. So it means there was less freight to move out there. So the first thing we saw that the the volume on spot decreased from uh, twenty percent to ten percent. So that's our auction uh, spot volume. So that's the size of that spot slice. And then we saw the size of the whole pie shrinking by like a few percentage points. So how do we determine that size of the pie? We look at various economic indicators. We look at manufacturing output or consumer spending on goods, imports, exports, so all of that. And if you take a combination of all of that, which we define as our demand index, it's a weighted index of all of these four categories that I just mentioned. We saw that decreasing by a few percentage points. And that happened for various reasons. So it started with an inventory glut uh, in like around mid last year. And then a huge decrease in imports. And then in Q4, we started seeing a decrease in consumer spending and a decrease in manufacturing as well. So that's on the demand side. Yeah. Uh, on the demand, on the supply side, where we also publish our supply index. So it's a function of how much drivers are out there and how many trucks are out there. So if you look at this supply index, uh, we saw it increasing, recovering like at a, at a very fast pace. Uh, because we saw all of these owner operators flooding the market and then getting hired by, by fleets as, uh, as the spot market tanked. Uh, so 
as that ha- as that was happening, carriers were also like they were starved for trucks and trailers in the past two years. But yeah. right now, it's getting much easier for them to get these trucks and tra- trailers. So we oh. saw supply recovering to the like and outpacing demand. So it was growing at a faster rate than demand. Actually, demand was was shrinking. So so the gap between supply and demand was getting bigger and bigger. And that means empty trucks. Like, for example, one of the reasons here, take, take a look at this chart. This is uh, out of Sona. This is our volume chart. This is our outbound tender volume. Um, and if you take a look at here, what you're seeing is that this has dropped 32% year over year from the previous year. And I realize the last two years were anomalous because they're they're crazy. But when has this freight market been normal? And it doesn't, like, seasonality is out the window. That's just not enough volume for all that expanded capacity. What are you seeing in volume? Yeah, so if, if you look at tender volumes, this chart makes sense to me because what, what it is seeing it is saying that there was a lot of tenders because there were a lot of rejections. So every yeah. load that gets rejected rejected gets tendered again and again. Uh, so, for example, if you look at our data at Uber Freight, we published this first tender acceptance, which is the tender accept. It's like it's similar. It's like tender acceptance rate by the first carrier, and it increased from about like fifty five percent to to eighty five percent, or like roughly. Uh, so we're seeing the same trend. Like we're seeing that uh, carriers are rejecting less loads. So because of that, uh, there's less need to tender again and again. What is going on with employment? So we mentioned an expansion and without more volume, you need a culling of the herd one way or another. You simply need less trucks. I mean, operating numbers are bad. Like our, I think the average spot rate earnings is like 248 fuel included. It's not good. And it's been that way for yeah. a while. Are, are we seeing, are you seeing more capacity leave the market? What's going on? Are people just dug in like ticks? Yeah. So it, it depends what type of capacity you're looking for. So if you're looking at owner operators, uh, we track data from the FMCSA about like how many new carriers are coming into the market and how many carriers are exiting the market. So if you look at all of that, then you see that more, more fleets are exiting the market than the ones entering the market. Which makes sense because these fleets are unfortunately squeezed between like the high sp- high operational costs and the low spot rates. Uh, but most of these are either owner operators or small fleets. But if you look at data from the BLS, which is like the government published data uh, about like tracking employment or specifically tracking employment in the long distance sector, which is like has the highest correlation with spot rates over time, uh, you notice that employment has been growing. So what this tells us is that a lot of uh, these uh, carriers who have been exiting the market or owner operators who are exiting the market are not really exiting the market. They're just enrolling with fleets. And for these fleets, from their perspective, it's getting easier and easier to hire. And they have not been able to hire for two years. So now they're over hiring. They're like getting all of these uh, employees and holding tight to them. So we saw the um, we, we saw the reverse of that market dynamic too, as as you kind of alluded to. For a while, we saw this massive, most ever in history, influx or or migration of company drivers to owner operators in those past two years. But I think they're realizing it might be a little tougher without uh, the parent company riding above you. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So so these were entrepreneurs chasing high spot rates. So when when they saw that they get they can get a better opportunity in uh, in the spot market working for themselves. They left carriers and they and they went chasing this opportunity. But now it's it's the opposite. So spot rates are decreasing, and we're seeing more and more of these getting back to to carriers. Are you pessimistic about the outlook for the rest of the year? Some people like Craig Fuller, uh, Von Moore was just on the other day. He said it's going to be a tale of two halves. Do you see the second half of the year uh, conditions improving, or are things just going to get worse? 
Yeah, so there, there are a lot of indicators that uh, that show us that we are somewhere close to the bottom. So we live in a, in a cyclical market and we don't expect it to be like either good forever or bad forever. So it is a very cyclical market. Uh, when we look at all of these indicators, uh, demand is doing well. Like it, it has dropped by like a few percentage points if you look at overall freight demand, but it's not like anywhere near like a severe or deep recession. Uh, but we like we don't expect it to grow like back to the 2021 levels where everyone was sitting at home with a lot of government money just buying stuff. So we don't expect it to, to go back to that level. But at the same time, we, we are not expecting like a severe crash unless there, there's like a severe recession. Uh, on the supply side, uh, we think that we might be seeing a supply correction underway. So that's because, uh, as I said, like some carriers are exiting the market and even fleets are getting close to their capacity to hire. So fleets at some point are going to ask themselves, like, how much do we need to hire more or to buy more trucks? And the question is not much. So there's going to be a supply correction that that should be bring the market back to equilibrium. Interesting. All right. Before I let you go, you got a favorite Girl Scout cookie? Uh, no, but you got me excited about that raspberry rally. It's really look, it looks really good. <laughs> I give I, don't, I wish I had one. I will. I uh, have one for me if you can find one. There's been a shortage. Well, yeah. <laughs> everyone out there, you want to learn more about this report? Go to uberfreight.com and read their latest market update. It's on their blog. Appreciate your time today. Thank you. Have a good day. Take it easy. All right, good stuff. Got to tip the band again. Send us the hard stuff. That's what Donovan Logistics says. When you run into the really challenging logistics nightmare that keeps you up at night, call the good folks over at Donovan. They make headaches disappear. How do they do that? Visit them at Dunavent.com to find out. Appreciate that one. All right, everybody, it's time to write a little strap work. Let's see what we got cooking today. Oh, dude, I'm, I'm with this guy. I have no idea what's going on. I think I have an idea. He's trying to get his big screen home. Okay, okay. That's a 75-incher. He's uh, strapping to his back, and he plans to take it home on his unicycle. Which, by the way, I have read that a unicycle requires more energy to operate than just walking. So it's one there's of the actually no way. most inefficient modes of transportation. This guy says there's no way. He's a doubter. I hate haters. I wish a hater wasn't there filming this no video that was looking this. down. This guy clearly has it. You don't bring unicycle oh to Target. Oh, my gosh. He's balancing the TV on his... No. Well, you all out here Surely rated no strapper. Drew Pearson says, I'm looking for your I'm lightest 75-inch. Jeff Dixon says, I know firsthand how hard it is to ride a unicycle, and I was great at it. Hold on a second. He's going to get a shout-out to him. There is no way he's doing this right now. Oh, I have to say something. Dude, that's epic. Oh my gosh. You gotta do what you gotta do. Gotta do what you gotta do. This is logistics. This is the purest form of logistics. Jeff Dixon said, I know firsthand how hard it is to ride a unicycle, and I was great at it. So I give this gentleman a round of applause. I give him a 20 out of 20. I actually asked Jeff about this. Like, what, where were you riding a unicycle? He said it was in the 70s. I guess in the 70s, there was like a huge unicycle craze, and people were playing unicycle basketball, and he was a unicycle basketball player. PJ Benoit. Or a Harlem Globetrotter. PJ Benoit says, since I can barely chew gum and walk at the same time, I give him five stars. Tony Darnell, I don't know about the strap work, but those big red balls seem small now. Yeah, a guy on a unicycle will make any balls seem small. Walter Wilson says, a true gamer. 
Yeah, dude, got to bring that home for COD. Boris Panov, my buddy, says, I wonder about the transit time. I'm telling you, Boris, it's the least efficient mode of transportation compared to walking. You should be, unless you're on a hill. What if you're on a hill, smart guy? You go faster then. Riziki Otomo said, this is a true definition of logistics. Cheap, up to the point of free of charge, fast, and dependable. Brandon Smith said he's done with the internet today. Well, wait until after the show, Brandon. John Billis says he's offering hotshot delivery services at affordable rates. Can't imagine his FSC being too high. Excellent way to reduce diesel and equipment costs. Christopher Garan says at that point, you have to wonder why he doesn't just walk. And then the guy actually says, you've got to do what you got to do. Dude, you don't need to ride a unicycle. And Dave Abel says one of the best ever. All right, man, let's bring up Super Trucker. He's uh, his, his dome's been cooking. He's had some steam. <laughs> oh, nice. <laughs> Over, dude, dude, I didn't get, I, I just, I'll get, I'll, I'll let that play. I said I would do it up until we had one. Now we got one. How you been, buddy? Now we got one. Good, good. Yeah, when I saw that video, the first thing that stuck out to me was that tire. That tire was just way over, over capacity. It was. So have you bought a TV recently, like Gone to the Storm? Bought oh, yeah. It's always a shock if you oh, come yeah. back to like the Civic. Yeah. And anything over 55 inches, like will not fit in most, most vehicles unless you've got a big ass car. Oh, yeah. No, we we sprung for the delivery. There was no way that thing was going to fit in my uh, Subaru. Oh, yeah. And then with the box on, like, I got a 65-incher, and the box adds, like, another 10 inches in width to both yeah. sides, too. So you don't want to go there. And but- they're, they're, not, they're not that heavy these days, either. The TV itself is maybe 50 pounds, but it's just yeah. the, the size of it that makes it so hard to handle. Yeah, it's not like even like the plasmas. They used to have like the flat screen plasmas, and those would be yeah, like 75 yeah. to 125 pounds. But nowadays, yeah, it's, it's just unwieldy. That's the issue. But you learn about this stuff from experience. Now, an issue with experience in trucking, though, got you a little heated on TikTok. Let's replay this yeah. clip that I played uh, on the other show. We'll ask Justin why he feels this way. So, boom, y'all, I'm a trainer. And this is my trainee, Siobhan. Look at how adorable she is. Now, I know what you're thinking. How the did I become a trainer, right? Honestly, yeah, kind of. You've had a CDL since August last year, so I did some digging. Now, she's not public with her carrier, so I won't name it here, but some very easy Googling. Uh, I come to find out that they allow drivers with up to three months' experience with them uh, to become driver trainers. I cannot overemphasize what a terrible, terrible, terrible idea this is. Other carriers have similar programs where, you know, if you have 90 days with them, They'll let you become a trainer, but only if you have at least a year prior driving experience. Uh, it's not the case with this carrier. Now, this app is full of drivers from all over the spectrum. Uh, you know, some brand new, some with, you know, 30, 40 plus years under their belts. All the veterans will tell you they don't know everything. In fact, the longer you've been at this, the more you know that you don't know. So why? And I don't blame this driver whatsoever. By all means, you know, do do what you want. Uh, I blame the carrier in this case. There's absolutely no reason why you should be allowing anyone with less than two years experience trying to teach other people how to do the job, too. They barely right. know what they're doing as well. All right, let's talk to Justin about this. So, Justin, what is what – is, I mean, I think it sounds kind of obvious, but what's the issue with putting a three-month – and I understand, as I understand this correctly – if you have started as a truck driver, you, you have to have a CDL, but all you need is three months mm-hmm. experience with this company, no other prior experience, just three months with them, and then you're good to be a trainer. What's the issue? Yeah, it's what you have, three months isn't even a season. It's one season. Yeah. So if you started in the spring, now it's in the summer, you have no idea what driving in the winter is like driving a, a, a commercial vehicle. You've never had to put chains on. You've never had to drive through a steep grade in the snow. I mean, at three months, you barely even know how to back. Mm. 
How long, so w- when you were trained, for example, how much experience did your trainer have? You want like an old gray beard sitting across from you? Is that the thing here? Yeah, yeah. My, so um, all the trainers I had, they had 20 plus years, I mean, decades of experience. At the time, at my company and pretty much all companies, they wanted two years minimum accident free, which has completely gone out the window now. It's like, as long as you're breathing, you can be a trainer. They don't care how many accidents you've been in. As long as you're still employed there, you're good to go. <sighs> So what do you think it would be the biggest blind spot for a new trainer, a three-month trainer? Because I'm sure the person like I'm sure the person in that job, they don't think they're doing anything wrong. But what kind of blind spot? Maybe we can educate them. What kind of blind spots might they have? The muscle memory. Um, you don't realize just how big the truck is. You know, we see photo after photo and all these videos every time of a truck going around a corner too sharply. And when they ask the driver, what did you do? They said, oh, I just forgot that I had a trailer behind me. You know, it's it's things like... Bad habits that you pick up from driving a car your entire life, those have to get wiped completely out of your system when you get into a truck. And a lot of drivers, this, this happens to them where once they've been driving for a while and they get into a car, they get picked. I get picked on all the time because of how wide I drive. My, I, I take turns really wide in my car. And it's because I had to like carry those habits from driving a truck back to driving a car again. Interesting. Yeah, no, I I can agree with you. I can totally see the issue there. It's very hard to learn anything in three months, let alone how to be a driver yourself, let alone how to train someone else how to be a driver. And also there's kind of that issue with credibility. You know, you need the person who's learning to also take you seriously so they're receptive to what you're teaching them. And if you're like, oh, I don't know, I got to check a manager. Or even worse, you don't know and you just lie. You give them like the wrong way that you're doing it. This can go sideways pretty quickly you know what went sideways oakland take a look at this side show i don't know if you have you go to any of these the side shows in philly you you take, check those out of the no I, we we i've come across one um i used to drive behind the airport to the ups air terminal uh, for work and you would see dirt bikes um all the time doing stuff like this but never at semi this is just beyond stupid i don't know if this guy owns the truck uh it looks like the logo the company logo there has like a a spray paint over it so he's trying not to you know he's trying to hide who he is so either he owns his truck and he's a moron or wait, you think he wait, hold on a second you think he outdated a can at port of la and he's and he, or at uh, port of oakland and he's doing the sideshow or is this stolen i was assuming this was stolen uh, who knows i mean it, god if it was stolen i jeez i don't know because you can't tell from the video whether or not there's a seal on the back of that trailer yeah but watch when the watch when the truck comes around this spot here you can see right there there's like a black spot on the uh you know the logo on the side of the truck this could have been much worse i was usually when i see these videos oh, yeah. a ton of people in the crowd end up getting hit by whatever vehicle is is doing the spinning somehow and it's crazy too like how blind is the spot that a lot of these people are in as you see this guy turn by the end of this video they're crowding the back of that trailer yeah. Yeah. So he's making a left turn, which thankfully it's it's on the driver's side. So he can see yeah. what he's turning into. But people on the back of the truck, he's got no idea they're back there. No, no and idea. Fortunately, it's it's a container. So it's not like there's a lot of um, hangover on the back. So it's not swinging out and striking people. Yeah. If this was like a 53 foot trailer. Um, yeah. This this could have been a, a disaster. What, what did they yeah, tell the guy you? In the back of the trailer is just, just, just an idiot. This is obviously voluntary by who's ever driving the truck. But what did they train you on like if you got like encircled by a crowd or something you start you know carry some sensitive freight uh well just about any truck driver that's been driving since past the, the you know the the rodney king riots they have that mental image of um reginald uh, denny yeah mr denny reginald denny being pulled out of the, of the semi 
And all the guys I used to work at the post office with said the same thing. Like, that's not going to be me. That's not yeah. going to be me. Wow. Wow. But that's, oh, that's the only train they give you is like, that's not going to, they just have <laughs> yeah. some old guy say that yeah. to you? <laughs> See, it's, it, when, you, when you're in a situation like that, it's like, well, God help you. <laughs> okay. All right. Well, maybe that three month old would have a better suggestion than just like, uh, yeah, dude, that's <laughs> not happening to me. All right. That might be a three month old in the, in the cab. Well, how about this? Have you ever delivered to the wrong address? Take a look at this guy. He misread uh, uh, California and been Canada or whatever the hell happened to him. <laughs> have, have you been to the wrong? I've always would like when I was on DOs and doing delivery docs, that would always be one of my my fears. I would not think properly and put down like, you know, AK for uh, the wrong state. Never. Nothing like wildly out of place. Most of the time it's like you, you call a facility ahead of time and you say, hey, I'm a driver for xyz i got a load coming to you this is the address how do i get there and sometimes they'll give you the address of like the employee parking lot um so that's a good way of getting lost but i, I always after that happens to you for the first couple of times you make sure to like confirm like i'm going to the loading dock or unloading dock where is shipping receiving please don't send me the directions on how you get to work Absolutely. Well, I so a Redditor on here said in trucking, I've never had it where I went to the wrong state, wrong location. Sure. But that was because the receiver yeah. moved buildings and didn't change the paper. I bet that happens quite Not frequently. All the time. I know that's happened all to me time. before. I put out DOs and you have templates sometimes, too. And you go, oh, OK, someone goes, oh, it's going to like Marion, Georgia. And you just yep. don't know that they moved facilities. So you're giving them the old location. But then when you get there, it causes a big hassle as, as you yell at the guard and you tell them to look at the paper, right? <laughs> no, yeah, I always called ahead of time. If it's someplace I'd never been to before, I always call ahead of time. Interesting. Now, so you have kids, but you kind of, this job came around about a year ago and your kid was just getting to that like self, that awareness like age. Yep. So you haven't driven while having a son, but check out this semi sleepover right here. We had a sleepover in our dad's semi truck. Uh, I love this. Yeah, <laughs> one of my, one of my big regrets is that my you know I'm driving a desk now, so my my son will never know, you know how cool it was being in a truck like this. I got to find a friend still on the road and uh, show him the in and outs of a truck. You still cover the yeah. I mean, you can just do a podcast from someone else's truck. Be like, hey, can we borrow your truck mm -hmm. and do a little do a sleepover with the kids? Yeah, next time I'm in Philly, I'll uh, you know, stalk the, um, uh, the the port down there and find some guy that uh, is looking for a time to kill. <laughs> Although, you know, about a minute into that, you might start regretting it. Those, like, I don't know if you saw that video with the parrots that I had a couple days ago. And, you know, parrot may seem like a good <laughs> idea at first, but after a while, it really gets on your nerves. Those kids were chirping quite a bit. Yeah, well, at least he's, he's parked. It's, diff it's different having a sleepover than trying to drive 500 miles with them in the back of the cab. Interesting. Well, speaking in the cab, so let's say you don't have their kids on there. What are some of the suggestions that you have for someone to pass time in the back of the cab? This this came up on Reddit, and some Redditors had some great suggestions here. And it's a topic we, uh, I don't know, idle time. It's the devil's work. We haven't talked enough about this one. Yeah, well, when I was on the road, you know, iPads were just becoming a thing. Um, I had a really good gaming laptop. Nowadays, you got the Steam Deck. Um some guys are really into drones. I had a really nice DSLR camera with me. So if I was in like a cool area, I would try to get some like, you know, good photos. Um, but yeah, you just, you got to find a hobby that uh, one can fit your budget and can fit inside the cab. You don't want to have, you know, a, a, a potting wheel in the back there, in the back of the truck. No, of course. I mean, a lot of people here, they, they, on, on Reddit, at least they said cooking adventures with the dog, adult coloring books, reading, fishing. Yeah. 
Um, another guy said, I love that. Another one said, uh, sleeping. Uh, another yeah. one said, when I'm over the road watching movies, video games, browsing Reddit, the internet, reading philosophy, thinking about it, I should do i should develop my hobbies i guess he feels like he does these things but he's not actually developing any skills i i feel that sometimes at night too like i indulge in the things that that i like and i feel like i'm learning something but like i don't really remember anything afterwards i i had this i had this thought that like truck drivers are some of the most like least credentialed but highly educated people on the roads just because of all the podcasts and everything that they listen to well, uh, they, they, just, you know, they were, just don't get a degree in any of it. A lot of them were talking about here. They were saying that a lot of the answers were think, think. I'm a road philosopher. Uh, another guy yep. here says, um, I believe that uh, I believe that, that drivers, you know, uh, there's no better time to answer life's bigger questions than behind the wheels. <laughs> That's what you're talking yep. about. Yeah. Come up with conspiracy theories and yell. Another person knit. You don't see a lot of like trucking knitters or at least a stereotype. Hmm. Doesn't have that. A lot of video games. So the guy's learning bass guitar. We found our first crossover back to truck up flying magazine reader. Though. This guy said yeah. flying. He got himself a Cessna a couple years ago. Just toss that in the trailer, roll it out with, during your downtime. And I want to know around. who he drives for. One to, one to make the money to afford one and to have the downtime to get the hours uh, uh, behind the stick. I think so. Do you have a strategy for that, though? Like, at least that topic of the guy who's like, you know what? I do the things I like every night, but they don't get me anywhere. How do you how do you focus your your hobbies or your how do you focus your time? You really got to find something that sticks out with you. You know, you people who are high in openness like me, the problem that we have is we're into so many things that it's impossible to find something and stick with it you know you you bounce from hobby to hobby after a while and, and i'm like terrible with this um you know we, we watched uh this tv show bluey with my kid yeah. <laughs> and i'm obsessed with the theme song okay. so i actually went online and i bought a melodica which is like the the flute keyboard that they use to play the song yeah and my wife was like yelling at me she's like you're gonna buy it it's gonna sit here for like a week and then it's gonna go up on the shelf and you'll forget about it and That's she's the right truth <laughs> yeah. yeah i have one of those things from like zelda the um what do you call it i, I i'm such a bad ocarina I, ocarina i have an ocarina i have an ocarina I, I never play the damn thing you know what though maybe if this train heard my ocarina it wouldn't hit this truck let's take a like an, another train and truck strike there's been i want to say there's been a lot of these but there probably hasn't been any more than normal i'm in tennessee and we hear about these things all the time that oh yeah that's a bad one that's george yeah, I, I, well this one's I think what we're seeing is oh i'm sorry go ahead well, I just want Georgia State Patrol says the tractor, they just got stuck on the railroad tracking on the uh, railroad track there by that CSX train. The train engineer was transported to Hamilton Medical Center. Fortunately, only minor injuries. The, there's a business owner right by there that said once in a while there's a dip and drivers just get stuck in that dip. Yeah, it's, it's a little boy trailer right there. And you can tell you can see that there's a little bit of a hump on the track usually they've got signs indicating like hey watch out you know don't take a little boy across yeah. this but you know when he when he's hauling the um the, the excavator like that those things are heavy so it probably just wasn't um the right equipment for that kind of inter, uh, intersection well what do you think about this guy's awful beard and his conspiracy theory play this tape Today is the 23rd of February, and we have another <laughs> train hitting another semi-truck that was parked on the track. I literally just put out another video of a semi-truck parked on a train track. This is for educational purposes only. I'm not trying to speculate on anything that's going on. But very, very odd coincidences are happening right now. Um, so follow for more. I'm 
these aren't coincidences. These are these are drivers not knowing about a ditch that was in the middle of the road. I mean, all of the the, the yeah. situation that happened there that he's that's what annoys me about because there's real conspiracies, but there's some people like they they make so much noise and they like they're they like do a disservice to the conspiracy industry by pointing out stupid things like common train accidents, which is driver's this, negligence usually. This is the lowest hanging fruit. It's just people showing their their sheer ignorance of like the supply chain and just statistics in general you know over a thousand train derailments a year in the country that's you know more than two per day these um, aren't even so sketchy it's, it's just, hits like i mean yeah, why, yeah. if you're gonna run into something why a concrete barrier that's easy gonna break or why a trailer that's full of wood there's may way worse things you could yeah. have a train drive into than these particular commodities these are just pains in the yep. asses and thankfully nobody yeah, got too no, hurt in these incidents you, you could go down to memphis and derail some trains there and lock up the entire you know east coast supply chain for a month because that's where like the main hubs are at, you know, these, these things happen all over the country, but it's until it isn't until people start paying attention to them that, that it really gets into the zeitgeist. Let's skip the exit mirage for now. Let's jump to big brother was a trucker. I got this video from Amazon about this truck driver detailing the tech within her truck. Let's hear it. You're tracked, right? That little guy is how we are tracked. It's probably recording me reporting it, but it can't hear me. So that's nice. So it has one camera facing me, one camera facing forward, and then one camera on each side. The one camera in front tracks how close we are to other drivers um, and if we stop at stop signs. So if we don't stop at a stop sign, like fully stop, then we get a violation for that. It tracks our speed so we cannot go more than six miles per hour over the speed limit or we get a speeding violation. (laughs) These vans also track our buckle count. So it'll count how many times we buckle our seatbelt. And if we don't buckle it enough, then um, or we like miss a buckle, then that is a seatbelt violation. But also that camera is watching me while I drive. So I cannot do a lot. If I want to sip up my coffee, I have to pull over um, so that what? I can grab it and drink it. Because oh, if I so do much it mud while I'm driving, too. then that's a driver distraction. You can't drink anymore? You can't drink violation. anything? I can't touch the center console or else that is a driver distracted um, Everything's violation. on the center console. One guy was itching yeah. his face, his beard, one time. You can't itch and, your beard? Uh, the I do this involuntarily all the time. And so he got a driver distracted violation for itching his face but they disputed it. And I cannot unbuckle my seatbelt until I am in park. I also cannot get out of my seat until I'm in park, which is obvious. So yeah, everyone who works for Amazon pretty much hate those little things, but we have to remember it's just for safety, but I thought I would give y'all a little rundown of it because I feel like it's asked a lot, but there you go. Are Are they asking a lot, Justin? Uh, yeah. And to her credit, she says, you know, if you go into her, her TikTok account, she gives a little more context that the, the video is going viral. Um, Business Insider did a, a, an interview with her um, and they didn't give her enough time to respond. So she feels like a lot of her comments are being taken out of context. Oh. She was very emphatic that this was all about safety. And I just I, I feel like a lot of the older people in the workforce are kind of a little more hip to like what's going on here. You know, it, it's a lot of Big Brother stuff in the cab. Nobody wants to be under that kind of surveillance. So, I mean, look, the whole the whole entire workday. Some is fine. The stop sign is fine. You gotta you gotta abide by yeah. the rule. Looking outside the cab, any of that kind of stuff is totally fine. Maybe even like 
one camera. The problem is like the camera's tracking so much, like inconsequential. Like why can't you drink? Like seat belt scratching. Clip. I know this is just normal yeah. adjusting your seat. Those are just normal involuntary things that that you do. What a you talk about distracted yeah. driving. Trying to appease this thing is a distraction in and of itself. Hey, Justin, thank you so much for coming on the show. Find Super Trucker on Twitter. Go look up Back the Truck, a podcast wherever you get it. While you're there, subscribe to What the Truck as well. Find me on Twitter at Timothy Dooner. Um, subscribe to the show on YouTube. Don't be a stranger. And take care.